Thanks for tuning in to the Link Church podcast. Link Church is located in Charlotte, North Carolina, and is committed to linking people to the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. We are kicking off a brand new series today entitled Bold. Bold, a brand new series entitled Bold. And I'm excited about this because There is a level of boldness that God requires that we have as Christians. And we have this tension with the culture that we live in today. And how do we navigate this? How do we become better Christians? And how do we be effective? We're going to talk about it. We're going to go through this. And it's going to be great. If you have your Bibles, let's get right into the word today. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar. Shinar is Babylon to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Remain standing. We're going to talk from the subject today, uncompromising faith, uncompromising faith. We're going to pray. God, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for the ability to learn and glean from your word. Your word is so powerful. It is so life-changing. We have come, God, today to hear from you. I pray, God, that ourself would be removed out of the way. Our flesh would be removed out of the way, and you would speak in this moment. Help us to focus right now, God, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Y'all doing good? Y'all gotta, y'all know the drill. Talk back to me. The more y'all talk is the better God preaches. That's just the way I feel. It's the way the better he preaches. Maybe it's the better that I that I do. It's not really him, but anyway, we're gonna do this thing today. Uncompromising faith. Uncompromising faith. The book of Daniel is a unique book. It is a unique book because Daniel is one of four major prophets recorded or chronicled in the Old Testament. Y'all stay with me because I want to lay a little bit of background here. Daniel is one of four major prophets. You have Isaiah, you have Jeremiah, you have Daniel, you have Ezekiel. And Daniel is a unique prophet because Isaiah prophesies about the captivity of Judah about 100 years before it is besieged before it is overthrown. And then you have Jeremiah that comes closer. He is the imminent prophet. He speaks to the imminent captivity of Judah. Right before they are captive, Jeremiah prophesies that Judah must turn from their wicked ways. Daniel is a prophet that is unique, however, because he prophesies while in captivity. But he just doesn't prophesy about their enslavement. He prophesies about the end time. So Daniel's prophecies reach all the way into the book of Revelation. He talks about a lot, a lot about eschatology, a lot about end time, okay? Then you have Ezekiel that prophesies in the midst of captivity, but he speaks more to the coming out of Judah. Now, in this moment, as we enter into Daniel, y'all with me? 
As we enter into Daniel, um, we must understand the events that lead up to what we're going to talk about in Daniel. Because the children of Israel are taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. But they are taken captive for a reason. It's not because God just wants to show himself strong. It's not because God just wants to do a miracle. It's because they have not listened to the voice of God. For many generations, they have played the harlot. For many generations, they have worshipped idols. And because they have not listened to God, God allows them to fall prey to a heathen nation that enslaves them. We've got to understand as we walk into the book of Daniel first, we've got to realize this characteristic of God. That God is multifaceted. He is not only a God of love, but he is also a God of judgment. Hmm. God is a God of judgment, but that is the antithesis of our culture today because our culture wants to live in this judgment-free zone. We want to live and exist in this judgment-free environment where you can't judge me no matter what I do. You can't talk about my lifestyle. You can't talk about what I say. You can't talk about where I go. You can't counsel me. You can't advise me. You can't point me to Christ because I want you to stay over there and I exist in this judgment-free place. But one thing we've got to understand is that the book of Daniel will unveil the nuances the tension between culture and faith culture and faith and i want to present to us the awareness of the culture that we exist in today that there are on many levels a, we have a culture that is anti-god that is anti the principles of god Yet God has thrusted us into this culture and says, be fruitful, be, be effective and have influence. But how in the world am I allowed or how in the world can I have influence in a culture that is anti-God? We're going to talk about it. We're going to discuss it. We're going to walk through it because I feel like the Christian today is in a in a unique place. We're in a in a unique space because a lot of us, we don't know sometimes what to say. We don't know sometimes how to answer. Is it that we're too flexible and 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 we're bending too much and acquiescing too much to the culture? Or is it on the other hand, we're too rigid and we're not allowing people to have the freeness to come to Christ? Where does the church stand? Where, where do Christians stand? How does God want us to walk this line? And I want to use da uh, Daniel, the book of Daniel, as the pathway, as the blueprint for how we can learn some of these truths. Because the Bible lets us know that, that let me go back a little bit, that Israel, because of its apostasy, was broken down into two kingdoms. You had the northern kingdom and you had the southern kingdom. I'm going to just speak to the Bible readers today because other than that, folk are going to be like, oh, God, what is he talking about today? Let me teach a little bit. You got the northern kingdom. You got the southern kingdom because of Solomon's 
disobedience, the kingdom was split and rent from beneath him. And so his two sons, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, were split and, and, they, and the kingdom was divided between them. And so you have Judah, which is comprised of the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, the southern kingdom. They are split from the northern kingdom. And you have Judah, who was a little bit better than the northern kingdom, because the northern kingdom never had a good king. They, they never had a good king. Each king was subsequently worse than the king before them. But Judah had some good kings. They had some bad kings. But now Judah has fallen so far away from God that God allows the Babylonians to come in and to besiege them. So the Babylonians come in and they take them away and consider the predicament that the children of Israel are now in because they are captives in a strange land. And I want to talk about a strange land a little bit because I believe that that if you are a Christian today, you exist in a strange land. I won't get any amens, but but you exist in a strange place. Maybe it's not strange to you. Maybe it's not weird to you. Maybe this world and this culture is comfortable to you. But if you have any semblance of God inside of you, there are times when this culture feels a little too strange. Where, where certain things that, that comes from the culture of today, is a, it just rubs your spirit the wrong way. I just can't get with everything that this culture promotes. And you feel like you're in a strange land. Well, well, these Israelites were in a strange land. They were in a heathen place. They were in a place that was inherently evil. Because if you know anything about Babylon, Babylon is the epicenter of evil. Bible readers again, I'm going to teach today. Bible readers again, if you know your Bible, you know that evil emanates from Babylon. That if you go back to Genesis, it's Nimrod, the leader, that was the leader in the beginning of Genesis with the Tower of Babel. That's where evil emanates from. And if you know your Bible, you realize in Revelation that Babylon will resurrect itself again and be the center of evil in the last days. Ah, Babylon is very evil. It's not even like Egypt. It's not even like the first time they were enslaved. But this time, they're in a, in a culture that they've never seen before, never heard of before. A culture with all these gods, even though Egypt had all these gods, Babylon is evil on another level and they find themselves in a strange place. What is unique about this enslavement is that they are captive in a strange land and they are with their families. They are with their friends, but yet they are still feeling the effects of a strange culture, which means that you can be with your family. You can have your friends there, but sometimes you're just feeling like God has you in a strange place. 
God has you working in a strange environment. God has you existing in a strange environment and sometimes we can exist in these strange places and we feel uncomfortable because it's not about being with our family it's not about being with our friends it's that something in our spirit is unsettled and it's just strange maybe it's just me but sometimes I feel like we're in a strange place that, that is just so hard to get a prayer through. Oh, let me, let me stay there because I, I feel like I'm pulling on something. That's, that it's so difficult. There's such a heavy fog that looms over your spirit life. And you can, it feels like you're hitting a ceiling and you can't access the heart of God. That every time you push forward, it seems like something is pushing you back and you feel like, God, I'm in a strange place. And I pray and I fast and I look to you and nothing moves. Nothing goes forward. It's like, God, you're not answering. It's because God has you in a strange place. But what is notable about Daniel and what we're going to see is that there's something about Daniel's faith that is uncompromising. There is something about Daniel's faith that is unshakable. There is something about Daniel's faith that is so tenacious and relentless that no matter where Daniel is, he still trusts in his God. We must understand that the Bible doesn't record Daniel's history. But we must but but we have to under know, we have to know that somehow Daniel must have had a relationship with God before he got to Babylon. So you've got to build your relationship before you go through the test. Because if you build relationship after the test, your faith is too, is too weak. And, and our text talks about the captivity of Daniel and his friends. And I want to keep reading so we can understand the context. Verse 3, Daniel chapter 1, verse 3. It's on the screen. And y'all follow along. The king. Who's the king? Nebuchadnezzar instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. Verse 4, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach. This is where I want to go. And whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. So you have King Nebuchadnezzar. He has his right hand man, his boy Ashpenaz. And he says to him, I want you to find the good looking, the smart, the intelligent young men. And I want you to round them up, bring them into my cabinet. 
I want them to be a part of my regime. I want them to be a part of my inner circle. And what we're going to do is we're going to in, we're going to teach them the language of the Chaldeans. We're going to teach them the literature of the Chaldeans. And that is so significant. Because the Babylonians are not like the Egyptians. This captivity is on another level. Because what they're trying to do is not only enslave the Hebrews, they're trying to convert them. They're going to teach them the language and they're going to teach them the literature. In other words, they're going to convert their minds to the way of the Chaldeans. So in Egypt, centuries ago, the children of Israel were enslaved, but that was normal bondage. Because the Egyptians weren't trying to convert the Hebrews to the ways of Egypt. They let them live in Goshen. They let them worship and serve God, but they required them to be slaves. But now Babylon is on another level because what Babylon is trying to do, they're trying to convert them, not keep them in captivity. So I want to talk about conversion versus captivity. Because what the culture wants to do to you is that the culture wants to convert you, not just oppress you. The culture wants to convert you, not just keep you in bondage. If you know anything about the devil, the devil is raising up an army just like God is too. And the only way you get a loyal soldier is if you convert them. Uh-huh. And so it's just ever so slightly the culture is trying to convert you because if the culture can convert you, they can change the way you think about God. The culture can change the way you believe about God. The culture can erode your beliefs and your faith. The culture is not just after your bondage, but the culture is after your conversion. Version. Hallelujah. I feel like the culture of our society today is trying to convert the mind of the Christian, trying to slowly erode our values. trying to ever so slightly desensitize you to certain things. So if you see it enough, you are now being taught in the way of the Chaldeans. If you, if you watch it enough, you are now learning the language of the culture. And I like Netflix too. Oh, Miss Joyce, I, I like some Netflix. Yes, I, I, I love some Netflix. Every Sunday, my wife, we, we, we relax a little bit and we spend time together and we just binge on some Netflix. But I found that there are some shows, there's some series that we've had to stop. I mean, I mean, there's some there's some series we've had to stop because we found that the language that was coming through the TV was too much of the antithesis of God. 
So we had to guard our hearts and our spirits because there is a culture of Babylon trying to convert us. Conversion is so powerful because when God saves you, he really converts you. Oh, oh, I feel God in here today. When God lifts you out of your sin, the reason why you still hang on to your relationship with God through all of the hell that you've been through is because you have been fully converted. Oh, maybe I'm not talking to those that have been converted today, but I, but but perhaps there is somebody in here that has not just simply had an experience with God, but you have been converted. The spirit of God has raptured your heart and has cleansed your mind and your mind is now transformed by the power of God and you are converted. When God really gets a hold of you, there is nothing that can stop his conversion. When the power of God really arrests your mind, there is no power of hell that can stop him. When the power of God really quickens your spirit, there is is no depression that can hold you because when God converts you you are all the way converted there is a man in the book of Acts named Saul and he is a terrorist for Christians he is a Christian killer and he is a man of the law but he is finding every which way he can to put these Christians in jail in fact, Paul uh, Saul is a witness to the stoning of Stephen. He verifies it. He says nothing about it. And the Bible says right after he, he watches Stephen die because he is stoned to death. Paul is on his way on the Damascus road with papers to put more Christians in jail. When the Bible says in Acts chapter 9 that there was a light that shined from heaven above the brightness of the sun and it totally knocked Saul off of his beast and he heard the voice of the Lord say, Saul, Saul. Why persecutest thou me? Why are you persecuting me and my church? And he says, Saul, it is hard for you to kick against the thorns, against the pricks. And Saul says, what would you have me to do, Lord? And Saul is converted and his life is changed. And Saul's name is changed from Saul to Paul. And this same Saul is responsible for most of the New Testament that we read today because he was not just a person that had an experience with God, but he was fully converted. And I got to tell you that either God is going to convert you or the culture will. Either God is going to convert you or the culture will. Because they took Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and they wanted to teach them the language 
of the Chaldeans. Now, I think that's powerful. But as we keep going with the text, let's let's keep going, because there are a few things that the culture tries to do. And the second thing, after the culture wants to convert you, if we go down to verse number six. Now, from among those of the sons of Judah, out of the group that they pulled together to try and convert, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them, the chief of the eunuchs, Ashpenaz, gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. This is significant. This is significant because not only does the culture try to convert you, it tries to change your identity. I want to talk right here in this space about maintaining your identity. You've got to maintain your identity because the, the culture wanted to change their names. They had God-given Hebrew names, and, and the culture wanted to name them in accordance with Babylon. So, so the next point is to maintain your identity, because, because you have an identity that God has given you. Yeah. You have an identity that was authored by your father. But what the culture tries to do is the culture tries to identify you based on what the culture is at that time. The culture tries to identify you based on its own laws. And the culture wants to strip your identity where now you are not uh, walking in the identity that God has given you, but now you're walking in the identity of the culture. Maintain your identity. If you maintain the identity that God has given you, then you will not be identified with the name that the culture wants to give you. Because sometimes we can be so identified by what we see. That we see a lot of likes on social media and we become so hooked on getting likes and our identity starts to be shaped by getting likes on social media. And we forget how much the father really likes us. And if the father likes us, it trumps all of the likes that you can get on social media. So, Ro, maintain your identity because God wants you to maintain the identity that he has given you and you have got to know who you are yeah you got to know who you are because you have to realize the principle here that only your father has the right to name you Woo! You carry the name of your father. If you realize, you got to realize that because even Jesus, Jesus needed an earthly father. We think that Jesus didn't need Joseph. 
But if you understand Jewish law and tradition, Jesus had the bloodline of Jewishness from Mary. He got it from his mother. But his father was the one that would name him. And in order for Jesus to be legally legally within the line of kingship his father joseph had to register him and adopt him so his father joseph now adopts him he goes down into the city and records jesus's name and because joseph comes from a kingly tribe jesus now has legal right to be king on earth Mary gives him the Jewishness through the line of David but Joseph adopts him as his earthly father and Jesus walks through this process of being named through adoption you got to understand the parallel that's why Paul in his writings say that we have been connected to Christ through the spirit of adoption whereby we cry Abba Father so you came through this earth and you were birthed into a sinful world but Jesus when he redeems you he adopts you he gives you a new name and you are now adopted and Paul says in the book of Romans chapter 8 he says that we are now heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ because he has adopted us and I maybe that just makes me happy it doesn't make you happy but it makes me happy because the culture wanted to name me according to my sin but when Jesus gets a hold of my life he adopts me and he says you are not a, a whore you are not a slut you are not broken you are not used you are not a player you are not a pimp but you are my son uh -huh. and whom the son has set free is free indeed and they that are led by the spirit of God they are the sons of God and if God has gotten a hold of your spirit if God has named you you ought to lift your hands right there and say thank you Jesus for adopting me hallelujah thank you Jesus for naming me thank you Jesus because you knew me before I was formed in my mother's womb you ordained me you sanctified me you gave me my fingerprints you gave me my eye color you gave me big lips you gave me a big nose you made me short you made me tall you made me big boned but God I thank you for the way that you made me because I am fearfully and wonderfully made and the culture does not have the right to identify me because I know who I am I know it I know who I am I know who I am the culture is, is a dangerous thing. We gotta be in this world. We've gotta influence it. And we're gonna talk about how to be effective and how to influence it. But I wanted to kick off this series by hopefully drawing a line in your spirit. I don't want to, I, I, I don't want to so much dictate 
the line. Because I, I feel like the word of God dictates the line for itself. Oh, and we get into a danger zone when you start to say, Pastor Mark said. Because I want to keep a good reputation. But not only because of that, it's because it doesn't matter what I say. It matters what God says. And if Pastor Mark goes off the deep end and starts talking some crazy stuff, you must have enough Holy Ghost, enough spirit, enough connection with God that you say that doesn't line up with the word. Maybe I need to check out another church. I didn't say anything crazy, so, so don't do that. We need you. We need you. It's, it's funny because the culture is such an influencer. Even on, I talk about Caleb a lot, but he's funny. Even on my young son, it's such an influence because they just absorb everything. A while ago, they were at the breakfast table, and they, Izzy and Caleb love to eat breakfast together every morning. And Izzy's there, and she says to Caleb, Caleb, why you eat your cereal so slow? Why you eat your cereal so slow? And Caleb says, Izzy, stop judging me. I say, yo. <laughs> He's already picking up this no judgment zone. Stop judging me, Izzy. And he said it in context. Like, don't be judging my breakfast habits. I'm going to eat my cereal the way I want to eat my cereal. But the culture influences so strongly that we've got to be careful. And in the series, as we talk about bold, we want to be bold as Christians. Don't be crazy, though. But be bold. Because your boldness is your competitive advantage. This is not in the notes, but I feel God here. Your boldness is your competitive advantage. If you notice, the devil is always trying to attack your boldness. He's always trying to silence your mouth and your thoughts. He's always trying to get you to second guess your worth. <laughs> He's always trying to put fear in you and say, you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. They won't like you. They won't appreciate you. They won't love you like they love them. You don't have as much good stuff to say. You're not as good of a writer. Nobody's going to buy your, your books and your poems. You're not as smart as the other person, people in your job and in your department. The devil is always trying to attack your boldness because your boldness is your competitive advantage. The apostles, man, I, I didn't know where to go in this series because there's so much in the Bible about boldness. But the apostles were able to turn their world upside down because they were bold for God. And Peter and John on the heels of the day of Pentecost in Pentecost in, in Acts chapter 3. They are on the way into the temple at the hour of prayer. And they are bold enough to see a man that is lame. 
And they say to this man, silver and gold, I don't have. But what I do have, I give it unto you. When is the last time you used your boldness and gave somebody Jesus? Yeah, you're trying to give people perhaps what they don't need and what they need the most is Jesus. But the devil tries to tell you and talk you out of your boldness. But your boldness is your competitive advantage. Let me finish up here, and then we out of here, y'all. Y'all enjoying this? So let's go down to verse 8. But Daniel, notice the Bible calls him Daniel and not Belshazzar. Yeah, just notice that. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. So King Nebuchadnezzar has this spread. And if I had time, if I had resources, y'all, we're doing so many things. Uh, you know, we talked about last week about sacrificing. We just need you guys to jump in wherever you can because we, I have such a big vision. I want to do so many great things. Um, one day maybe I could do a set and we could put up a table. But I can see King Nebuchadnezzar with his spread. Can you see it? With all of his delicacies and all of his wine and all of his meat and and. And he puts Daniel and Hananiah and Azariah and Mishael around the table. And he says, eat. And Daniel says, I can't eat your food. Because I have to hold to the standards of God. And I have to hold to my commitment. Commitment is valuable. Commitment is so valuable. You have some more conservative Christians and you have some more liberal Christians. And I believe it's because God has given each person unique commitments. There are certain things that you won't do that I might do. And it doesn't mean that I don't have the Holy Ghost and you do. It just means God has a certain commitment for you. And I believe that commitment is essential because God is looking for people that are bold enough to hold to their commitments. Because when you hold to your commitment and do not compromise, that's when God really promotes you. You're trying to get promoted by compromising. But it's not through your compromise. It's through your convictions. <laughs> it's through your convictions because Daniel says that is not kosher and I can't eat it. I'd rather eat vegetables and water. I'd rather eat this pulse. And if Jamie was here, I'd make fun of him. I'd rather eat this vegetables and this pulse. And, and, and I'd rather do that because God has given me a commitment. And the quintessential question is what are you eating from the table of the culture that, are, that you're putting and in your stomach and ingesting that is defiling you? 
What are you eating from the table of Babylon that is defiling you? And we walk through life and we ingest the culture, but then we turn around to God and we complain because our stomach hurts. <laughs> and I came to tell you your stomach ache is because of what you're eating. Your stomach aches because of what you are eating. Be careful what you eat from the table of the culture. Because what you eat affects you greatly. And sometimes you have got to refuse it because of who is offering it. Now, I would show you if I had the table with Nebuchadnezzar spread that he probably has some good food, y'all. He has some excellent food, cleaned properly and cooked to perfection. The Bible says it was his delicacies. It wasn't poor people food. It was great food. But you can't be swayed by how good the food looks. Because sometimes you've got to say no, not because you don't want it, not because you don't need it, but because who is the person that is offering it to you? Jesus shows us this example, and I'm done, y'all, because when Jesus has fasted for 40 days and nights, he has come out of the wilderness, and he is met immediately by the devil. Jesus is in a strange place. He is met by the devil. And one of the three things that the devil says is, I know you're hungry, Jesus. Why don't you take these stones and turn them into bread? Jesus was within his rights to do it because there is no miracle that God cannot do. But Jesus turns to the devil and says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And Jesus refuses the bread, not because he wasn't hungry, not because as God he couldn't do whatever he wanted to do, but Jesus refuses the bread because of who was offering it to him. Yeah. Woo! Yeah. Ah, and I feel like you can't eat what is being offered to you. Because of who is giving it to you. You can't take advice from everybody. Oh, there is a devil behind that person that's trying to advise you. That is trying to sabotage you and give you indigestion and give you food poisoning. Because... You have got to have commitment in this world, in this culture, in this society. Where are the Christians that have commitment? Is there a generation out there that says that we will live for God? We will die for God. Is there a generation out there that is, the, that is so bold? That will refuse the delicacies of the culture to say, my faith is bold and I will not be moved. I must have that old preaching spirit today because I said a few times I'm closing. <laughs> but I got one more scripture for y'all and then I'll let you stand. Verse 19. I think this is great. 
Then the king interviewed them, Nebuchadnezzar, and among them, this is after they refused to eat, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, uh, they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and all the astrologers who were in his realm. So the point here is, and you can stand, that'll push me to close. <laughs> You can stand because, because Daniel and his three friends are promoted because of their commitment. And you don't have to compromise your values to win. <laughs> you don't have to compromise your values to win. Because God will give you favor. Daniel has access to the king. Daniel has power, and we're going to see it in this book, because he refuses to compromise. And I don't know what you're working on. I don't know what idea you have. I don't know what purpose God has put in you. But I came to tell you, you've got to have uncompromising faith. We hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. For more information about Link Church, you can visit us on the web at www.linkchurchnc.org.